Welcome to Sulphur Community Church. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm Trent Whitley. I'm one of the pastors here at Sulphur Community. And uh, we're, we're thankful that you're with us. Uh, we, what we're doing is we're walking through uh, our sermon series called The Crushed Head and the Bruised Heel. And what we're doing through that is we're walking through, hopefully in this year, we're, we're going to try to finish it in, in this year. We're going to try to faithfully walk through Scripture, pointing you to the major stories and the major themes that are going on and ultimately to point you to Jesus Christ and everything and, and all of his promises and in everything that he does. And so... Uh, uh, like I said, we're, we're going to try to do that uh, in one year. And, and what, what we have to kind of go along with this is uh, David and Joey have actually put together some, uh, some guides that will help us walk through each particular text that we're going through. And so there's some guides on the back table there, or you can go to uh, sulfurcommunitychurch.com under our resources tab, and you'll be able to, uh, to see those guides. You, you, can, you can access those guides. And what they do is they just help us to walk through Scripture to understand what the author is trying to communicate there, but then also to understand some applications and some, some things that we can bring into our lives that, that we can benefit from from these scriptures. So, uh, like I said, there's some copies on the back. You can go to our website and, and access that information. So, uh, we're going to walk through the text today, and uh, what I'm trying to do is get us from the point of last week, where we were talking about Isaac, uh, Abraham and Isaac, to this week, where we'll be discussing Jacob and, and his family. And so we left off with Isaac between, being somewhere between a teenager and his 30s, depending on the interpretation there. And, and so uh, Isaac was going up to the mountain with Abraham to be sacrificed. And uh, God, you know, we saw last week that God provided that sacrifice um, in his place. And so Isaac was, was spared. His life was spared. And uh, as we move on, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to see the, the life of Isaac and then into the life of Jacob. So Sarah, uh, the next thing that happens is Sarah dies. Uh, Abraham goes to the Hittites and he says, look, I, I, need a, I need a field to be able to bury her. I need, I need somewhere to bury her. And so she dies. Uh, then Abraham, he gets old and he tells Isaac basically uh, that he doesn't want Isaac to marry a woman from that area, to marry a, a Canaanite woman. He wants him to go back to his kin. And so he sends a servant uh, back to his kin to be able to get a wife for Isaac. And so we see that kind of play out. You see Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah is his wife. Uh, Rebekah and Isaac have two children that are in the womb at the same time. Um, and so they're struggling together, what scripture would tell us, they're, they're struggling together. Um, and then Genesis 25 says, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's what we hear about these, these two that are, that are in the womb together. And so Esau is the firstborn, right? He's the one that's born first by a, a few seconds. Uh, he's... What we hear about him is he's this hairy dude. He's got, he's got hair all over him, even from when he was born. He's this, uh, and as he grows older, he's this skilled hunter, this guy that wants to be outside all the time, hunting game and, and, and bringing game in. And then we hear about Jacob. Uh, Jacob is born second, and he's holding on to the heel of, uh, of Esau as he comes out. And, and Jacob is more of a, uh, a quiet type. He liked to stay in the tents. He liked to be to be with his mom. He was kind of a mama's boy uh, when it came down to it. Um, and so Jacob, when he's, coming out, uh, when he's coming out of the womb, he's holding Esau's heel. And so he's given this name called He Cheats. That's what Jacob's name literally means, He 
cheats. And we'll see why, that, why that's the case in just a few minutes. And so Esau, uh, the next thing that we see is, fast forward quite a few years, Esau is coming back from the field from one of his hunts. He's, he's exhausted. He doesn't know uh, what he's going to do uh, as far as food is concerned. And Jacob has cooked this stew. And so Esau is like, look, man, you got to give me some of that stew. I'm, I'm really hungry. And Jacob takes advantage of that. And he says, okay, I'll give you the stew. Show me your birthright. He says, like, what? Okay, I'm going to die anyway if I, don't, if I don't get this stew. Okay, I will sell you my birthright for a, for a little bit of stew. And so Esau, Esau basically sells every benefit that he has as the firstborn, as the one who's going to receive the inheritance, the one that's going to, that's going to get all of these benefits from Isaac. He sells that for a bowl of soup. And then it's going to carry on. It makes it even worse, and it opens the gate to this even greater pitfall that Esau is going to fall into when Jacob deceives his father. And so Isaac is really old, right? He can't really see very well at this point. Um, and that's his father. Isaac is, is Jacob and Esau's father, right? Uh, he's really old, and he tells Esau, he says, look, go into the field and hunt some game. Go, go and hunt some game and bring it to me. Bring me the meal that I like. I, I like these meals, and so I want you to come back and bring me a meal, prepare it for me, and then I will give you my blessing. As the oldest son, he will receive the blessing. And so, um, and so Rebecca, Isaac's wife, Jacob's mom, gives him this idea, gives Jacob this idea. She says, look, if you can pretend to be your brother, if you can put on some, uh, some skins that will make you feel like your brother, if you can put on his clothing to where, to where Isaac thinks that you're his brother, that you're your brother, then he will give you Esau's blessing. He will give you that blessing instead. And so that's what he does. Rebecca re prepares a meal for him, and then he goes in with the meal pretending to be Esau, and he receives the blessing from Isaac. And so the storyline, whether, whether it's good or bad, I mean, we see that he cheated into this, he cheated his way into this, uh, but the storyline carries on through him. It carries on through this, uh, this blessing that Jacob receives uh, from Isaac. And so that's where we're going to kind of pick up today. Uh, we pick up on the main text, um, and in this main text in Genesis chapter 28, we're going to see two things. We're going to see Jacob's encounter with God, and we're going to see God's promises fulfilled. God's promises are fulfilled from this encounter that he has with Jacob. When he, when he makes these promises, we see them come not fully to fruition, but we see those, those promises coming out. And so, uh, first of all, we, we see Jacob's encounter with God, right? Let's read Genesis uh, chapter 28, starting in verse 1. Uh, ch chapter 28, verse 1. It says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. And so Isaac tells Jacob, he says, look, 
go back to, to your kin. Go back, uh, go back to our family to find a wife. And then he assures Jacob that God's blessing is going to be passed to him. The same blessing that, that Abraham received, the same blessing that Isaac received, is going to be passed to Jacob. And he, and he sends him off with that. And his brother Esau, who's probably super bitter at this point, I would be pretty, pretty upset if my brother had stolen my birthright uh, and had also taken my blessing from my father uh, that I rightfully deserve. He does exactly what Isaac tells Jacob not to do. Isaac says, Jacob, you don't need to marry these Canaanite women. And so Esau says, okay, you want him to not marry Canaanite women? I'm going to go marry a Canaanite woman. And so that, that carries on Isaac's story as we would see later on in Genesis if you keep reading. Uh, but now we're going to focus primarily on Jacob and, and his encounter with God. And so uh, we see Jacob's encounter with God next. Uh, Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. Uh, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, which is basically the same as Padanaram. When they talk about those two, it's basically he's going, he's going to the same place. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And so Jacob comes to this place. And we don't know if he's underneath the stars because he's... He's in a certain location where he can't get to a particular house, like there's, there's nothing around him that, that has any structure, or if, he, or if his current estrangement from his brother, you know, being, being on the run from Esau, maybe he has to stay away from, from other places that allow him to be able to go. But either way, we see that he's sleeping under the stars. And remember, this place is really important because it's the, it's the same place that Abram was when he received the promise from God originally. Uh, it's this it's this same place that we're going to talk about more uh, in a few minutes. The place that Jacob calls Bethel. And so think about this. Jacob, Jacob goes, he's going from his house. He receives this blessing from his father, Isaac. This blessing that really wasn't supposed to be his, but he, he took that blessing from his father, Isaac. Uh, but from what we know about his personality, what, from what we know about Jacob, he's more of a homebody. He's somebody that would, would like to be home uh, with his mom, more, more so than anything. Uh, and his brother hates him, and he forces him out. And so he doesn't have a place to stay for whatever reason, and he's on his back underneath the stars. So you can, you can kind of imagine some of the things that are going through his mind, some of the fear that's happening. Maybe he's questioning that blessing that he got. Like, I'm not really sure if this is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen here. But then he finally gets a chance to rest. He finally gets a chance to go to sleep. So he places his rock under his head and he goes to sleep. And Moses draws our attention to the next part. He says, behold. He says it three times. He says, behold, listen up. Behold, this ladder or this, or this ramp or this staircase, whatever you want to call it, it's something that's extending into heaven. 
uh, the bottom of it is on, on the earth and the top of it is reaching all the way into heaven. This ladder is here. And behold, on this ladder, angels are going up and down and, and moving up and down along this ladder. Uh, this connection between heaven and earth. Uh, a lot of scholars would say that... Uh, they believe that this signifies the, the protection that Jacob's going to receive. That as these angels are, are patrolling the earth and are going up and down from, from heaven to earth, they're protecting him and they're caring for him. And so he can see that. And then, behold, Jacob sees that the Lord is standing above the ladder. The Lord, the God of, of his fathers, uh, Yahweh, is standing above that ladder and he's speaking directly to Jacob. And he gives him this promise that's almost identical to the promise that was given to Abraham, his grandfather, right? If we look back at Genesis chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if no... So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. That was the promise that he gave to Abram at the time. And, this, and so he reaffirms this promise to Jacob, right? He's going to reaffirm this same promise. He said, uh, 28, 13 says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac, I am the same. He says, I am the same God. He's, refer he's reaffirming this promise that he's passed on from Abraham to Isaac and now to Jacob. He says, the land on which you will lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Sounds pretty familiar, right? It's the, basically the same promise over again. And then he adds, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Another, another blessing that's carried on from Abram, as we see in, uh, if you go back to Genesis 12, verse 3, he basically promises Abram the same thing. And then in 28, 15, he says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God reaffirms to Jacob. He says, look, I'm going to give you this land. I'm gonna get this land that you're on right now, I will give it to you. Israel uh, is the name that Jacob is going to become in, in chapter 35. God is going to rename him as Israel. And this is the place that Jacob's descendants are going to eventually build a kingdom. This place right here where he's laying. And so this, uh, this place was very close to the, to the center of Israel's kingdom where, where everything would spread out from there. And so God promised him that. He also promised him, he says, look, I'm going increase, to increase your offspring numerously. I'm going to increase your offspring numerously. See, the, this, this promise is, is going to play out pretty quickly. Uh, through Jacob's sons that we're going to see in just a minute. And God is going to give him descendants to be able to carry on that inheritance that he has. And also he says, wherever you go, my presence will be with you. God is going to protect him. God is going to give him protection. God's going to bring him back to the place that he is right now. No matter where he goes, when he, when he goes to, to Padanaram to take his wife, God is going to bring him back. God's going to bring him through whatever, whatever difficulty he has to go through to get back to this place. Uh, like we see in chapter 35, he comes back. 
And then also in Jacob's offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's the promise that he gives him here. This promise goes beyond the nation of Israel. It goes beyond what he's seeing here. And we're going to see this promise come true in just a few minutes as we walk through the the lineage of uh, Jacob's children. And so then Jacob wakes up, right? Uh, In in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse uh, 16, we'll pick back up. Uh, It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I will go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So like most people who encounter God that we see throughout scripture, Jacob wakes up in in fear and awe of who God is. He wakes up in fear. We see that in Isaiah. We see it through Moses, we see a lot of different people. Anytime they encounter God, usually fear is, it comes along with that. And so Jacob, in response, sets up this stone to commemorate this place. And, and he pours this oil on top of it. He offers what he has as, as sort of an offering. And, he, and, and it's a, a commemorative place uh, that he wants to remember. And so he makes this vow next with God, right? And this is kind of a... Uh, Kind of a questionable vow when I was thinking about it at first when, when I was reading through it the first couple of times. Uh, all he does is basically repeat the promises that God just told him, right? If you'll be with me, if you'll keep me in this way that I go, if you'll do these things for me. And he, he also even adds, if you give me bread to eat and if you give me clothing to wear. He says, if you do these things, then the Lord shall be my God. Then you will be my God. Then this place shall be God's house. Then I will give a tenth of all I have to you. And so we have a little bit of an interpretive challenge here. Something that, uh, that people can't completely agree on. You see the, the Hebrew word that's translated here could be translated as, the, the first word of that sentence could be translated as if or since. And so what we have is, is two completely different thoughts about this. Uh, if, it's, if it's if, then it sounds like a contract that Jacob's making with God. It sounds like a contract where he's saying, if I do all of these things, or if you do all of these things for me, then I will do these things for you. It sounds like he's kind of trying to buy God's favor in some way. But if it's translated as since, then we understand that Jacob believes the promises that God has for him. Since you are going to do these things, since you are, are going to take care of these things, I will respond in this way and I will do this for you. And so, if or since, which one is it? Uh, most commentators would say that they believe that it's, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, for sure, we understand that through the rest of the passage that, that Jacob does believe God. He believes that God's promises are true, that that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. 
But you can't help but think that there's maybe a little bit of skepticism left in him. Maybe a little bit of that old deceiver left in him where he's like, he's like, well, you know, if I can assure this for myself and if I can maybe try to buy this promise, then maybe that'll help me out. Maybe that's something that I can do. And so you see a, a, little, bit of, a little bit of that, uh, that old Jacob in him. And so uh, do we, when, when, it, when we talk about relating to God's promises, do we, do we find ourselves in this situation a lot? Do we have trouble believing the promises that are revealed clearly in God's word to us? I mean, obviously God is, is not speaking to me in an audible voice every day, but we do have his word. We do have his word that reveals his promises to us, that reveals the things that, that he shows to us on a daily basis. Do we believe those things? Do we believe what God is, is sharing with us every day? Do we believe that he's going to do what he says that he's going to do? That's where Jacob's at right now, and that's what he has to come to. And so either way we see this, Jacob is going to follow through with what's going on. He's going to, to step out and to keep going in faith that God will do what he says that he's going to do. And then we see God coming through and fulfilling his promises like he always does. Jacob moves along toward Haran or, or Padanaram, however you want to, whichever place you want to consider. He's moving forward to that place. And then the narrative gets moved along a little bit further as we start chapter 29. It says he came to a well. Uh, he saw some others that were from that area. And so he starts asking them, hey, do you know, do you know Laban? Do you know, do you know these people? And they're like, yeah, we know Laban. Uh, and Rachel's coming up right now, actually, who was uh, Laban's daughter. And so uh, Jacob tells Rachel, he says, uh, he says, I'm Rebecca's son. I'm, you know, Laban's, Laban's sister's son. So I'm a part of your family. And so Rachel goes back to tell her dad, Laban, that, um, who is, uh, again, let's, let's just get this straight. Laban is Rebecca's brother, uh, Jacob's mom's brother. So it would be, yeah, it's, it's kind of confusing when you keep going along with this lineage. But uh, anyway, so Laban comes out and he meets Jacob and he invites him into his house. And he says, look, you can come into my house and you can, uh, you can be a part of my house. And so what, what Jacob is, is doing now is he's serving Laban. He's serving Laban as a part of his household. And so Laban's like, look, I know we're family and everything, but like, you don't have to serve for free. Like, what are, you, what are your wages? What can I pay you? And so then we find out about Laban's uh, two daughters, that Laban has two daughters, one Rachel that we've already met and one Leah. Uh, and so what we learn about Rachel, uh, who is the youngest daughter, that she, she, first of all, she's the youngest daughter, what we learn about her is that she's beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. She's an attractive person. And then what we learn about Leah, the oldest, all we know about her is that she has what Scripture calls weak eyes, which would mean that she was extremely unattractive from what I'm, from what I'm gathering from the Scripture. And so that's all we hear about Leah at this point. And so Jacob, he goes for the beauty, right? He's going to go for the pretty one. He goes for Rachel. And the text says that he, he loved Rachel, that Jacob loved Rachel from the first time that he saw her. And so he agrees at this point to serve Laban for seven years in order to get Rachel. So he tells Laban, he says, look, I want Rachel. I want your youngest daughter, and I will serve you for seven years to be able to do that. And so Laban pulls a, 
pulls a trick out of Jacob's trick book. He's trying to trick the tricker. And so he says, uh, he says in chapter 9, uh, chapter 29, verse 20, we'll, we'll pick up the story there. Uh, 29, verse 20. It says, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. And so you see how, we see right before this how conspicuous Laban is when, when he says, uh, when, when he goes up, Jacob goes up and says, hey, I want Rachel. And then Laban's like, well, you can have her. He uses a bunch of pronouns. Basically, doesn't ever say the name Rachel. So he's like, oh, well, I, I told you you could have her. You're, I was talking about my older daughter. And so he's, he justifies it also by their country's customs. He says, look, I, I don't know what y'all do over there in the Canaanite land, but over here, the first daughter goes first, and then the second daughter goes second, and that's how it works. So guess what? You're out of luck, man. You're going to get Leah. And so it's ironic that the deceiver, Jacob, the deceiver, gets deceived here. He gets, he gets kind of paid back a little bit of what he, what he was owed, I guess. And so he was, he was deceived by Laban, and now he must tolerate this marriage with Leah. He's, he's got to tolerate this marriage with Leah while he pursues the one that he truly loves, Rachel. And so now we get to, we get to see a little bit of a shift in the narrative Moses shifts it to a, to a different perspective where we see Leah and Rachel's perspective and everything that's going on. And so first, God, uh, we see in Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 31. Let's read, let's read starting there uh, to verse 35. It says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing so first, God has this mercy on Leah because he knew that she was hated. That's what we see. We see that he has mercy on her because she was hated. He allows her to bear children while her sister, Rachel, the one who is loved by Jacob, is barren. And so, uh, 
We see the character of God on display at this point. We see, we see his character that carries out throughout Scripture. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. That's what he's doing here. He's near to Leah. He's near to the one who is, who is hurting and who is desiring her husband's attention but can't receive any of it. How many times before this in Scripture and how many times after this in Scripture do we, we see God take the, the unlikely, the weak, those that are despised and rejected, the low, the, the people who are considered lowly and provide them this unmerited blessing, this blessing that, is, that we can't really explain. So God sees the state that Leah's in. God sees the, the situation that she's in and he blesses her. But Leah's not satisfied with, with just children. She's not satisfied with, with just having children. She wants Jacob to love her. And ultimately, she was hoping that her children would be the way that that would happen. But we don't get any indication that that actually happens in this whole passage. Listen to Leah's pain when she's naming her sons. This time when you're supposed to be naming your children and it's supposed to be a joyous thing. Listen to the pain that she has when she's naming her son. She's, uh, the first son is Reuben, which literally means see a son. Uh, she says, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. That's what we see. And then her second son, Simeon. It sounds like the word heard in the Hebrew language. And it says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And then her third son, Levi, it sounds like the word attached, because she says, now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. You see what's happening here? All of these names, all of these names of her children are focused on receiving affection from her husband, are focused on this, this empty hole that she has to receive affection from Jacob. She thought, look, if I can just bear some sons, if I can just have some sons, then he will love me. He will love me more than Rachel. Then I will be happy. I can be happy because he loves me. But with each child she bears, she sees that her affection, his affection for her does not change. Jacob's affection for her is no different than the child before. She bears all of these sons and Jacob's affection doesn't change. Even with her fifth and sixth sons, you can see that the longing for her husband is there. It's still there. She longs to be wanted by him. She longs to, for him to, to want her. Can you identify with, with Leah here? Can you identify with what she's going on in this, with what's going on in this situation? Have you been in a situation with your, with your spouse or your significant other where you just want them to love you? You want them to care for you. You want them to, to desire affection with you. But it's just not reciprocated. Have you been in that situation? Leah's in a rough spot right now. She's in a place where you would think she would be joyous because she's having children, but she's still in a situation where she can't get the full desire, the full satisfaction of what she wants. But then we see something change. Leah conceives a fourth child, and her response is completely different with this child. Her response is, is different with him. Her fourth son's name is Judah. And what she says from that is, This time I will praise the Lord. 
So we see something different here, right? It seems like her focus shifts from desiring her husband's affections and desiring to be with her husband and, to, and for her husband to want her to simply praising God for what he's done. Praising God for his provision over them. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. But without much other indication why, the Lord closes her womb immediately. And then the narrative shifts to Rachel. Right? We see Rachel now from uh, Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 1. It says, When Rachel saw that she had bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? And so, Jake, so Rachel is in the exact opposite situation, right? She has this love and this affection from Jacob. She's receiving all of this from Jacob, but she desires this joy and fulfillment of bearing children. She wants to have children. And she says, look, give me children or I'm going to die. There's no, I don't even really want to be with you anymore if I can't have children. So it comes out in anger toward her husband and um, and she's mistaken that Jacob is, is actually in the place of God, is in a situation where he can actually change any of this situation, which he can't. And so Rachel devises a plan. Uh, she must have heard stories from uh, Jacob's grandma, Sarah, because uh, she devises this plan. She decides that she's going to give her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob instead. And so what we see is uh, Bilhah has two sons. Uh, for, the first one is Dan. Uh, God has judged me and has also given me a son. That's what she says when she has Dan. And then Naphtali, with, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she's seeing this child as basically her own child. And so then Leah is not going to get one-upped, right? She does the same thing. Her servant Zilpah has two sons. She gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob, and then she has two sons. Uh, Gad, where she says, good fortune has come. And then Asher, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. And so she seems to be rejoicing over the fact that her servant, some, for some reason, had, had children with Jacob. And then in verse 14, things shift back to Leah again. Uh, we're going to read Genesis chapter 30, starting in verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you would have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have bore him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. And so these mandrakes, right? What are these mandrakes? What's going on here? Uh, mandrakes were known as, as a fertility drug of some sort in that, in that particular era. So Rachel is uh, seeing the, Rachel is, is fully 
on the path of trying to have a child of her own. And that's what she wants. And so she will do anything to be able to have a child of her own. So if it means, take, if it means eating mandrakes, that's what she's going to do. And so much that she trades a spot in her bed with Jacob for these mandrakes. And so she's going to trade that spot. And then it, it, it just, I don't know. It just seems like she's going to happily trade the love of her husband for a son. That's what she wants. That's her desire is to have a son. And so she offers him up for hire. She offers Jacob up for hire, basically. And as a result, Leah actually goes and conceives two more sons. Issachar, uh, when she says, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. And Zebulun, uh, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. You see that, that same desire coming from Leah again. Now my husband will love me. I've given him six sons. How can he not love me now? And then it also says she bore a daughter called Dinah, which we'll, we'll see later in, in the book of Genesis. So then finally the story shifts back to Rachel again. And this is kind of the the main piece of this story in, in Genesis chapter 30, verses 20, uh, 22 through 24. It says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So even after Rachel's unbelief, and trying everything that she could to take matters into her own hands. Even after everything she tried to do, God remembers her. God still remembers her. He opens her womb and she bears a son. But it's amazing to me that like, even after she receives this son, even after she receives the, the blessing from, from having a son, what does she focus on? She says, and she, it says, and she, show, and she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. So her desire immediately is to have another son. She wants to have another son, and she wants to keep having children. So this is the pinnacle of the story, right? That God has, has born Rachel a son, that he's going to be the one that the main storyline of, of Genesis follows for the rest of the time. And, and he's going to be the one who is greatly favored by God. Uh, Joseph, no matter what circumstances come up in his life, God only more greatly blesses him over and over and over. And so that's what we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. And so this is, this is a really long narrative, right? It's, it's a lot of stuff kind of packed into one. We see visions, we see vows, we see lots of women bearing children, we see lots of servants bearing children, we see lots of sons being born from different people. We see all this stuff going on. We see discontentment. We see deception. We see frustration. We see anger coming out. And so, what's going on here? I mean, if you keep reading, you're also going to see some more, some more trickery by Jacob when he's able to, it allows him to be able to gain some more livestock and some wealth from Laban as he's, as he's going so that he can have what he needs to be able to return to his homeland. So you see that as, as the book of, I mean, as, as this passage, as chapter 30 continues on. And so we see all of this, and I can't help but think, like, what can we make of this story? Like, what can we, what can we draw from this story? What can we see from it? I would say it's much greater than a story of two sisters that are struggling together. 
It's much greater than a storyline that's focusing on someone who, who deceived and who tried to buy his way into God's favor. It's much greater than that. It's a story on how God fulfills his promises. They may be strange ways that we can't understand, things that we wouldn't do if we were him, but he fulfills his promises. His speaking is his doing. We can take his promises to the bank. When he says something, he is going to do it. Like I said, his ways may seem unorthodox. They may, see, they may seem strange, but he always comes through. He always comes through on his promises. And so back in chapter 28, in the vision, we see a lot of promises that God has for his people, right? He says, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And, right, and after he says that, he gives Jacob 12 sons, including Benjamin, who we'll see uh, later on in the book of Genesis. Again, God had an unorthodox way of doing this through some really unlikely people, but he does it. He gives Jacob sons. He also says, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Excuse me. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. And in chapter 35, God is going gonna, is gonna to rename. We see God renaming Jacob as Israel. As, uh, and the descendants of his 12 sons, the descendants of, of Jacob's 12 sons, are going to make up the nation of Israel. The nation who, though they are weak, uh, God would choose to display his mighty power and to, and to display his purposes to throughout Scripture. That's who the storyline follows from this point on, is the nation of Israel. And then ultimately, we see the greatest promise here. We see the, the greater promise than, than any of these, that God says to Jacob, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So this is the same blessing that he gives to Abraham. Uh, this is the same blessing that he says in, in Genesis chapter 12. But we get a glimpse more of it today. We get to see a little bit more into that promise. See, Leah, when we go back to her, she had much reason to rejoice over her fourth son. When she says, remember she says, this time I will praise the Lord. Even if she didn't know it, this was such a fitting response for this child. Because from Leah, a woman who was ugly in appearance, who was despised and rejected, a woman who wanted so desperately to receive affection and acceptance and love from her husband, this woman that we're not ever sure she ever received that, exception, that acceptance. <coughs> Through Leah, this woman, a son named Judah was born. And from Judah, King David, who would rule over Israel and who would prosper Israel, is going to come. And even further down that same line, an even greater king is going to come into the scene. A king who himself, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. One who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, like Philippians 2 says. This king, a king who would greatly identify with being despised and rejected, one who would be hated for doing no wrong. One who would, who would come in and ultimately be murdered with the most brutal form of torture. 
so that we may be saved. Every nation on earth is blessed through the King, Jesus Christ. And that's who we see in this story today. So the question that comes from this text today is, do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that when He speaks and when He gives us His promises and His word, that He is telling the truth? Do you believe Him? Do you believe that He is who He says He is? Do you believe that He's going to do what He says He can do? And do you believe that when He makes a promise to us as believers, that we can consider that promise as done? That's what faith is, right? We get an idea from Hebrews 11 what faith is. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A pastor I heard one time made it, made it really simple for me. He says, faith is not merely believing in God, but also believing God. Do we believe God today? Do we believe and understand that what God has done for us in Christ Jesus? Do we stand firmly on our foundation that Christ Jesus built, looking forward to the hope that we have in all of the promises that come through knowing and loving Jesus Christ? Just to name a few of these promises that we have. I just want to name a few of them today. The, the Bible is full of these promises. But just to name a few today that, that kind of hit every single person in this room, hopefully. If we believe upon Christ, uh, Scripture promises us that in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. We have been redeemed from our evil ways. We have been brought out of darkness and into light. And Romans 3 would even add that we have been justified, that we have been made right with God by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have to believe upon that today. Also it says that in him we are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. We are not just redeemed but we're also brought into God's family. We have intimate access to God. God cares for us as a father cares for his children. God also promises us that he's going to provide us everything that we need so that in turn we can stop being anxious all the time. He says, look, I provide for the birds of the air. I provide for the lilies of the field, like he says in Matthew 6. Why would I not provide for the people that I love? Because Jesus himself suffered and was tempted, God has promised that he is going to help us when we are tempted. He's going to help us get through those situations of temptation. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. He's also showed us that no matter what happens, that we are promised that all things work together for good to those of us who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. Romans 8, 28. Do you believe those promises today? Those are just a few of the promises that we have. That's, that's just naming a few. Scripture is full of rich promises that we receive from God. And my hope is today that if you are a believer, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have placed your faith in Him, that you would devote your life to knowing, to believing, to cherishing, and to enjoying Christ and all of His promises that He's given us. 
This faith that we have, this faith, it comes from believing God and His promises. And it's, it's the faith that's going to allow us to be able to endure this suffering that we have on this earth. To endure the trials and the hardships and the difficulty. That's the faith that we stand firm on. This faith helps us to do that. It's the faith that's going to allow us to be able to continuously kill our sin in confidence that we have been redeemed and reconciled by God. It's the faith that doesn't allow us to be able to see ourselves by our own standards, but allows us to be able to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. And it's the faith that endures all things. And it's this faith that exclaims Christ's glory to a world that desperately needs Him. So believer in this room, can you trust in the promises of God today? And if there's someone in this room that does not believe in Jesus Christ, that would say, I have not placed my faith in Him, I would pray today that you would see the promises that God has for His children. And that you would grow to, to love God and to experience His goodness. That you would want to experience that goodness that comes from reconciliation through Jesus Christ. I pray that today that you would hear the gospel, that you would hear what Christ has done for you and that you would repent and turn away from your sin and trust in him for salvation. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, even when we have difficulty believing in it, that Lord, we know that your promises are true. We know that we can stand on the promises that you have given us in your word. And Lord, because of those promises, we have hope. We have a hope that endures, that gets us through difficult times, that gets us through the death of loved ones, that allows us to be able to persevere through trials and through suffering. Because we know that you are near to us. We know that you love us and that you care about us. So Father, today pray that we would worship you well because God you are you are good you show yourself to those who are unlikely you show yourself to the lowly to the ones who don't deserve you God none of us deserve you but father we thank you that uh, through the through your word and through the hope that we have in your Son, that we have received reconciliation. Father, let us draw near to one another. And let us grow in our understanding and our knowledge of you as we worship you this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.